Hi, welcome to the Iris Prize 2020 podcast. We love everything about queer film, and this year we've gone all best of British. I'm Robert Gershenson, and I'm joined by filmmaker Anna Winston, whose film Rugor on the Red Hill is shortlisted for the 2020 Iris Prize Best of British, which is supported by Film 4. The winner wins a bunch of services from Pinewood Studios to use on their next short film, and all 15 shortlisted films will get a UK-wide audience through Film 4 on all four. Anna, thanks for coming. Your short film touches on intergenerational friendships. In the age of social media, the selfie and generation me, 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 is there a reluctance to learn or even care about the people whose lives made ours possible? No, I think that I, I think that more and more people are looking back to learn. I think you have to kind of at least learn from the past to kind of move forward a little bit. You, in in doing that, you can kind of like learn from mistakes, or you can learn new things even to then move forward. But no, I I think that especially with the kind of movements that are happening now I think that more and more people are looking back to what happened or even if it's looking back to what went wrong or what went right which movements are that I'd say oh definitely black lives matter movement I say that the people are obviously um, educating themselves and in doing that they have to learn what happened previously and what is still happening in order to move forward um and yeah, even with trans right movement that's going on at the moment as well, I think there's so much is being learned by what has happened up until now kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think that especially with the generation like Gen Z and stuff, I think they're doing an amazing job at kind of like learning what has happened. Yeah, in order to kind of move forward and to hopefully create a, a better place for everyone in the future. Are you part of Gen Z? No, I, I think um, I do you know what? Yeah, I think I'm millennial. Yeah, I'm 27. So okay. is that millennial? You're millennial. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I'm uh, not Gen Z, but yeah, I just, I mean, they have to learn so much, especially with like, um, you know, extinction rebellion and climate change, even that they're they're just and the politics of everything that's going on at the moment. I think they're just doing an incredible job, aren't they? Just educating themselves yeah they've got so how important is it for younger lgbtqi people to know about who came before and i'm being quite specific in in the history in this country maybe in history in america because we seem to be quite you know connected in that respect mm. yeah i think it's so important because you can learn a lot about your privilege now um you can learn you know you know how far we've come but also how far we can still go mm-hmm. with rights especially because when we were researching this film we even learned things about um you know when homosexuality was legalized in the uk and you know even important dates like that it puts into context for you for how long people went you know, people who were, you know, law-abiding citizens, people who respected the establishment that was the law, but that same establishment that they respected was also the same establishment that said who they could love mm-hmm. or said it was illegal to be who they were or illegal to love who they were, uh, who they wanted kind of thing. So and that, what that does to a person is just, it is cruel, essentially. So I think it's really important to learn kind of, what has happened before yeah so that you can see not only what can be done because you can see how those people kind of won those rights 
what was done to win those rights um and then it kind of can help you to moving forward as well um and hopefully yeah creating a better place for everyone <laughs> in terms of the younger generation in the lgbtq community is there much of a connection or a dialogue with the members in the older end of the community and do they even socialize together i think there is a certain amount of dialogue um i think that there has to be yeah in order for pe people to learn and even share experiences of what they've been through i think that dialogue is there if it's as open as i don't know if it's as open as it could be that's mm -hmm. a, like i i'm not sure if it's yeah if it's quite there yet but i think smaller cities like cardiff it, obviously it's smaller so there is more of a socialization going on and more conversations happening but i i think that's where things like the also social media comes in because social media yeah it's, it's bad and it like you know opinion horrible opinions could be said but it's also a platform where people can share experiences and it doesn't really matter about the age essentially you can follow someone on instagram or twitter or whatever you're not really looking at their age you're just mm -hmm. looking at them as a person and it's through those that you can kind of like learn through their experiences or even ask opinions or ask for advice and stuff like that i think that that's a really nice side of it but yeah so i think a certain amount is happening how can someone who is wanting to learn more about the past in terms of LGBTQI education, where can they start? What films would you recommend? What documentaries, books, TVs, comics? Oh, gosh. Where to even start? I think oh, there's some great documentaries. Um, the oh, What's the name of the doc the, um, from New York? The ballroom scenes. Paris is Burning. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'd recommend Paris is Burning for sure. I think, I mean, that I'd, I didn't know nothing about the ballroom mm -hmm. scene. And that ballroom scene in New York is like, it birthed so much in the creative industry, mm -hmm. image-wise. You know, you even look at pop stars today, and the it's thanks to, like, the ballroom scene that looks that they can sport today it's where they were kind of tested out or even shown or the lit uh, is where the limits were tested essentially um so yeah it's, uh, docs like that are just are incredible really and um yeah I, i'm not sure books wise but i i'd say <laughs> online i know it is just basically where everyone starts isn't it just online even giving it a quick google um kind of if you want to learn about kind of like rights that happened in america and stuff like that like with stonewall even if you want to learn about that if you even give it a quick google if that's your starting point there's nothing wrong with that like yeah. you're still putting an effort in to learn for yourself and it's through doing that that you can then find like various books like um yeah even mike's book for this doc like he talks he essentially goes through the history um of gay rights but in the uk obviously so yeah on the red hill that's a really good book you should try that um but yeah <laughs> <Plug>. <laughs> just yeah just get a cheeky plug in there but um well, talking about yeah. the film how did you stumble upon this story you know george and reg the the main people in the documentary that the story is about they're not famous uh, and the cottage is is literally in the middle of nowhere <laughs> so in both a physical place and a narrative place it it's 
almost undiscoverable. So how do you find this story? So I found um, I found the story out through an article in the newspaper. It was talking about um, Mike at first, and it was talking about Mike's experience of being gay in rural Wales. And I thought that was like rare enough in itself. And the picture that they used to go with it was of Reg and George. So this is Mike Parker who wrote yeah. the book yeah. on the Red Hill. Yeah, he wrote the book. Um, but yeah, the picture was just beautiful that went with it. So I started reading it and realised that it was based in Mchenketh in Mid Wales. And it's so rare to hear queer stories coming out of rural Wales because like, it just, yeah, it just doesn't, it, the diversity in stories is just really lacklustre, to be honest. But that is changing. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was such a beautiful story and I just, I was like, and the more people need to know about this because it's stunning. So yeah, it all started with an article, and then we got in touch with Mike. And went well, that was going to be my next question. Too. How do you approach him? What's to talk about that process of, of is there something you did before? Did you research how? When did you approach him, and how did you approach Mike? So I read his book that he mm -hmm. wrote on the Red Hill, and then I literally just. How did I find him? I think it was through the publishers. So I contacted the publisher of the book and then they passed me on Mike's email. And I didn't expect him to get back to me. I was like, oh, this man's going to be like, oh, this mad woman wants to interview me. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, but he was like, yeah, come up. We'll have a cup of tea. We'll talk about it. So we drove up. Um, yeah, we far? literally. How far away is it? It's a, from Cardiff. It's about three and a half hours so, so it's not a short trip no not at all <laughs> but it's such a good story I was like I just want to get this story it's so good and then so yeah we went and met Mike and um yeah he's incredible he he'd like made pumpkin soup and homemade <laughs> bread for us and like yeah so he was open to it it's not like yeah. you had to say look this is what I want to do no he yeah. was like I'm on board oh, yeah he was so on board because he he just loves the story as well mm. and um he's such yeah he's so proactive in wanting people to know more queer stories wanting people to be more educated um especially when it comes to gay rights and so on and he just loves reg and george and he loves his house as well well they were and busy mates weren't yeah they? they're so they were so close and so I think for him to see like a essentially a stranger come up and be like, your story's incredible, you're incredible, like I I want to film you. I think he was like, yeah, let's just go for it. Plus he's he's so chill, he's he's lush, so he's down for it. <laughs> Proper chill. Yeah. <laughs> so what was pre-production like? I mean, how do you how do you plan for something like this? Do you, yeah. you have a structure that you want to follow? Do you have a shot list, or do you just yeah. go on the day and you blag it and make it up? No, we had so. Because the archive is so huge with this. Um, so all the pictures of Reg and yeah. George. And so, yeah, because George was a photographer. So throughout him, Reg and George's life, there's thousands of photos that they have. So going into this, we knew that like we had to have quite a strict, I, I guess, like, yeah, shot list in a way. Um, but we kind of had tried to structure it a little bit so that we knew kind of what points that we wanted to get at. So, yeah, and we because the archive is so big, you have to kind of like aim for what you want mm -hmm. as well out of the archive. So what we did was we wanted to hit certain points in their life. So when Reg and George were young and then um, then when they moved to Rhiwgoch and then um, when kind of like Mike and Predid took it over. So, yeah, that's how we kind of started. And then, yeah, we went in with quite a strict like shot list. Um, 
and then went from there really saying that we were organized going in but then as soon as you start shooting you start seeing other stuff and we started finding other things in the archive but that's always the way yeah exactly so what what is in the finished film that kind of came out of that uh improvised element um reg's artwork for sure because we knew a little bit about reg's artwork mm-hmm. um but it's incredible when you see it the whole barn that they have is just covered in paintings and the house is covered in paintings that this man has painted from very young to when he's old because he was so severely dyslexic mm-hmm. um that painting for him was his like his, his uh, like yeah his what's the word it's like output not output his output output yeah yeah, yeah so painting yeah it was his creative output outlet that's it yes. outlet that's <laughs> what i was looking for so yeah you hired, hired <laughs> yeah me for a reason yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's a bit yeah so the paintings but we didn't realize quite how much how how much they meant to reg i mean reg is he's brilliant at kind of organizing the house and the house is so creative and it has so many like little trinkets and bits everywhere but you can tell that like someone's thought about them they like they're almost like little areas so the house is is basically like a a museum to to reg and george yeah in a way like mike and Predd have also made it theirs for sure like because i was going to ask how would they feel about i mean the older couple left the younger couple the house the younger couple move in and it seems like it's still looking like the older couple's house so how would they feel about living in a museum to someone else yeah well it's actually so when they moved in it was pretty it it was in a pretty bad way Mm -hmm. but it was just cluttered right so they've actually taken quite a lot out and essentially organized it but it's now this really beautiful mix of like so there's Predi's work up on the wall but there's also Reg's work up on the wall and there's Mike's books next to George's books so it's this like it's really beautiful combination of like yeah two different generations mixing so um yeah it, it is theirs completely and they have made it theirs the film isn't overly flashy it's a very simply made economical film the story is is the focus here but visually it's not static there is movement you've got uh panning uh, tracking shots you've got some pans you've got maybe some drones am i yeah am i thinking (laughs) okay so how did you come up with the visual style so because we knew we were filming a house and the house itself because it's such an old house it's it's very dark. Mm. I knew that I didn't want any of the shots to be to become so crowded and so dark that you don't know where to look. So I think in that case, you can use camera movement to kind of help the viewer in a way to like make them feel like they they were walking through the space mm-hmm. as well. I think I wanted that feeling to come out of it. So, I mean, we did so many tracking shots, but the ones that we selected kind of like the the social spaces so like the kitchen and stuff because i i feel like you want to feel like you're moving through the house as we're talking through it um and because like you say the film is so simple i didn't want to overcrowd it with like flashy you know effects or editing essentially but i think you can use camera movement to just kind of help the story move along and 
yeah yeah i think help the person uh, help whoever's watching it feel like they're in the house too kind of thing the first shot is lovely it's just literally moving towards the open door mm, and yeah. it's, it's inviting you in it's literally yeah. saying this story is about this house let's yeah. come in yeah yeah that's uh, oh, i'm so glad you got that <laughs> <laughs> how long was yeah. the shoot how long did he, did he just uh, say oh yeah just move in whatever six months uh no four days four days that's yeah quite long yeah it was so everyone that was working on it we all had jobs outside of it right. so we all only had these four days free that we could work on the film so we went up we booked an Airbnb that was meant to be for three people, but there was yeah. five of us. We just slept on. You <laughs> like, a few extra people in. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, they were fine with it. But and then, yeah, we just literally shot every day. So our editor actually came with us and he's the one that scanned in all the archive while we were out filming. Oh, he had the good job then. Yeah. Had, <laughs> yeah. But he was amazing at it. Cause I mean, it needed someone techie anyway, but um mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we went out filming with Mike. We did loads of walking with him. We had to do a master interview with him. We had to then shoot the whole house as well. Um, so yeah, four days all together. And then, yeah, it was done. And then lots of editing. How did you know you had everything you needed when you packed up the kit up, got in the car and drove back? I didn't. <laughs> Were you having that fear? Yeah, I mean, you can you can do a tick list to some mm-hmm. extent. But... Um, yeah, you, you'll always have that fear. And I just remember when we were driving back, I was like, oh my God, what if we didn't get that? Or what if we got that, but it wasn't it wasn't quite right? Or what if I want to change that? But you just got to go with what you've got at the end of the day. But um, yeah, what we did end up with was perfect. And like Josh, our DP, he's incredible anyway. So obviously didn't have to worry too much. But um, When did the edit process start? Immediately or did you give yourself some, some breathing space? It, so... We had a lot of footage, so we gave ourselves about a week. Me and Joel, the editor, gave ourselves about a week to watch it all. And then the biggest issue for us was the master interview because we ended up having like a, I think it was like a three-hour interview in the end. Um, yeah, to cut and down. it's only a nine-minute doc. Yeah, nine minutes. And probably half of it is talking. Yeah. So, yeah, essentially, I think talking wise we've got about five minutes of talking not even that actually but so yeah we had to transcribe it all and everything so the editing I think it took us about a month in the end but then we kept on going back so we kept on taking breaks because it's it's a bit difficult because you watch something so many times you you don't you're not very objective to what you've created so it's like getting your friends to watch it and then they get say, fed up and watch it. Eyes. Yeah, essentially. Pretty much my whole, yeah, all of my housemates had to watch it. Um, yeah, everyone. But yeah, so the editing process was very long because on top of the interview, we had all the archive that we had to select and decide. And so that was quite tricky as well, working that in. And that became actually the trickiest point was letting go of some parts, but because they were archive they felt really special, so it was really difficult to get rid of them in a way. The film doesn't feel overwhelmed with no. old pictures. I don't feel like I'm watching someone's slideshow. They've just come back from holiday and they <laughs> yeah. want to show you everything. That's good. <laughs> it's very selective. I think you yeah. found a good balance there. Yeah, that that's the thing. Because originally we were going to get some more like news archives to talk about. Um, because Reg and George's relationship did go throughout 60 years and they did pass the date of when homosexuality was legalised, we mm-hmm. wanted to touch on that a bit more. But it actually, it, it didn't quite work within the film because 
I think it sounds better coming from personal perspective of Mike explaining it to you rather than like say if you use news footage or something like that. Yeah. I think it takes out the story a bit too much. But um yeah, so so the archive yeah, we had to say goodbye to quite a bit of it, but yeah, I'm happy with what we've got. When did you realise you were happy? Hmm, um Oh gosh. I don't know, because I I'm awful for like We'll be, we'll be like, yeah, this is it. We've got it. And then I'll watch it again. And then Joel will get a message from me at like 2 a.m., which is like, can you just move that bit to that, that bit to that? And bless him, he does it all. So I'm quite bad, but... Yeah, and I still watch it now, and I'm like, oh, there's little bits that need changing. But yeah, you, you just have to just bite the bullet and be like, this is it, it's fine. And I, I always go by, get other people to watch it. Yes. And then watch their reaction because if they start watching it and they're on their phone like halfway through you know you haven't quite got it but if they're watching it and they're watching it right the way through you've got it essentially well if other people are watching it and it's only a nine minute documentary yeah. and they're on their phone yeah. they're not friends you don't yeah, want to keep that's them in your true. life <laughs> get rid of them <laughs> i would cut them out yeah so let's go back where did you grow up i'm guessing wales yeah isle of anglesey where's that north. so it's the island at the top of wales oh wow so it's like drive up then a boat and then a drive Not a again. boat. There is a bridge that connects it. Right. Well, there's two bridges that connect us. But um, yeah, so it was right at the top. But yeah, it's a little island. Okay. And you were a cinema kid? Uh, yeah, I was obsessed with films. Like, I love films. Oh, I, well, I'd say I start with like, the classics that everyone does, like Quentin Tarantino and stuff, because you think it's cool. I mean, it is cool to some extent, but it's where everyone starts, I feel, that then goes more into film in your age <laughs> yeah well yeah but then I was also obsessed with like um ask I don't like my so I have two, two older sisters and they always watch rom-coms ah. so for me my whole teenage years were like rom-coms essentially so from like your Bridget Jones to your like Sally Meets Harry, all of those kind of things, that was my filmic upbringing. <laughs> so it was not very filmic in, in that like... Well, it's storytelling. It is. And I think they're underappreciated. I will always say they're underappreciated. What was the spark that said, I'm going to be a filmmaker? Uh, do you know, there's... There's a film called Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. It's by Pedro Almodovar. And there's an opening sequence of that film that I think is one of the most best opening sequences any film has, that's ever been made. And it was after I watched that film that I was like, I want to make films. This, I, I want to make that. I want to, That is what I want. How old were you when you saw that? I was 18, actually. I was like... So 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I was like, I, I knew... I mean, it took me years to actually, like, be brave and study film. But I, I knew that I wanted to do something in film, for sure. So it wasn't immediate. You didn't start going out writing, making short films, <sighs> learning on, on the job. No, I was too much of a wimp. Plus, I love fashion. So I went to fashion school and did but that. They could, you can mix them together. Yeah, you know, oh, for sure. They're connected. definitely have one foot in the film, one foot in the yeah, fashion. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're for sure connected. But um, yeah, fa fashion's just... Yeah, it just wasn't quite for me. But um, yeah, so it took me years and I, I tried 
doing fashion, realised it wasn't quite for me. And then I just was waitressing for years. And it's weirdly, when I was waitressing, I, I remember a customer shouted at me once. And I remember he said to me like, oh, why don't you just go and do something that you're actually good at? <laughs> And I was like, oh, oh do you know what? <laughs> I was all right. I can make a bag in latte, to be fair. But um, yeah, he was just a, a, an idiot. But um, I was like, oh, do you know what? I actually am going to do this because I can't be bothered with, yeah, being shouted at by weird men anymore. So, so he, he was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's still an idiot. <laughs> but he's still an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you think, right, I'm going to go to film school? uh pretty much that day i made it like a uni application that day when i went home <laughs> which uni was it is usw so, okay yeah and what course film film so how yeah. did you go from uh being inspired by almadova yeah to making documentaries uh so i had a lecturer in on the film course called sally lisk lewis and she kind of just mentored me in a way like because it wasn't until second year because I was like oh I think I want to do dramas I want to do dramas and then second year started doing documentaries and I was just good at finding people and I was just good at good good at like getting stories from people as well but in a in a nice way it's mm. a kind of thing um so she kind of just took me under her wing and I kind of uh, then specialised in documentary with her. Uh, she's just incredible anyway. She's amazing as a person. But um, What is it yeah. about stories and documentaries and, and, and the truth? What is it about that that appeals? I think it's that it's a privilege that someone gives you their story or their experience to tell and that those experiences or their story can help to teach other people uh, yeah help to tell teach other people things that they maybe wouldn't have looked at or maybe wouldn't have thought about before um but yeah I think it's just the privilege of finding people and then the if they're you know they're amazing enough to share their experiences with you I yeah I just I love it to be honest like I think it's so special yeah so yeah in the age of fake news, yes, oh deep fakes, yeah. and politicians playing fast and loose with yeah. the truth, how can we all ensure that at the end of the day, only truth remains? Gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> that's what I people think tune in for on the Iris podcast. It's communication, but communication person on person sharing experiences that are real you can't yeah you can read an article about anything you want mm -hmm. and any article will have any opinion that you're looking for but it's through talking to people and it's communicating with people their experiences their stories and you have to listen as well that's how you you keep a truth because yeah i mean with fake news it'll just peddle you any opinion that you want to hear but so yeah if you kind of are willing to listen then yeah talking to people that that's how you yeah keeping in touch with people that's how you find it <laughs> so keep it what about your responsibility as a filmmaker in that respect how do you yeah. make sure you're always truthful and you're not just trying to angle in for the film 
that's the thing it's difficult at the end of the day you have a duty of care to mm-hmm. your contributor which is huge because obviously you have to look after them but it is a kind of selfish that act in a way because you, you are using their story i think it matters what your intention is if your intention comes from a good place if it's one that's caring and if you just want to share their experience with others I think you can't go far wrong all you're doing is essentially thinking about how to deliver that so in a visual sense with sounds and so on but yeah I think it all matters about the intention of it that's where whatever key is but if you have a hurtful intention going in making a film using someone's story is is you know it's not going to come out well so I, I think that's where the filmmaker has to sit down and really think about what do you want out of this not only what do you want but what yeah what people should know from this and how you can go about it in the best way and the most caring way as well so when you showed Mike the film mm. Were you nervous? Oh, yeah, so nervous. So did you send him a link or did you go up there to watch it with him? No, we sent him a link. Um, so, yeah, we sent him that and he loved it. But I was so scared because because we cut a lot out. Mm-hmm. That's what my fear was. That Because when you come to cutting someone's story down to nine minutes, you're obviously going to he- miss huge parts. And you're like, oh, God, what if oh, that's their life? You can't, you know, you have to know that. But so that's what I was a bit scared of, that he'd be like, oh, you know, why have you cut that? Why have you cut this? But he he was absolutely so delighted with it. And he was so complimentary. And like when we got into Iris, he, he was so like happy for us as well. So, yeah, he that yeah, it was fine in the was end. Was that a weight off your shoulders? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I, I just didn't because he's so brilliant. And I didn't ever want to upset him or f- make him feel like I'd kind of taken the f- with him. Um, but no, he he loved it. So I actually didn't need to worry. But I think it's a good thing that I did worry. Because if you're not worrying, then I don't know if you care that much, to be honest. So Do you think the fact that he's a writer and he would have had his own turmoil and struggle as he, as he was writing Reg and George's uh, story but he understood your quandary that you can't have everything in the pot yeah I think for sure yeah like because our interview was hugely long but it's that was partly my fault because I was asking him more and more for stories because he has amazing stories but he understood like he was in that room with us he knew that the interview we got was like three hours mm-hmm. he knew that we only had like four minutes of it in there but yeah, he completely understood. He's never like being like, how dare you take that out? He, Yeah, I think he just knows. He just he's, knows. Yeah, he just knows. He's clever. <laughs> do you think you could do a feature? Oh my God, yes. Do you want to? Yeah, I'd love to do a feature. Are you going to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, someone pays me. <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's, I mean, you must have some projects coming up. What's next? Yeah, so uh, I'm under an NDA, so I can't talk about Well, you much. don't have to... You don't have to tell us names or anything, but just give us a flair of what it could be skirting Uh, that NDA. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm working on some documentaries. That you're directing? Uh, Not kind of part of production. Okay. So, yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to think of, like, what I can say without getting in trouble. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, I'm basically I'm working on some documentaries coming up. I'm working with um, a really good production company mm-hmm. in Cardiff called Kailash. And yeah, so we're working on documentaries coming up with them, but they're going to be in Welsh language, um, which is really Is this fun. for TV or for film? Um, so one of them is film and then the other two are TV. Uh, so that's exciting. So, um, but yeah, so you so get a foot in each camp. Yes, yeah, it's really good. But what about you? What about your next directorial effort? Well, I'm still quite early on in my career, so still got quite a long way to go. But hopefully, um, well, COVID allowing as well. Uh, by the end of this year, we'll start shooting something um, with Josh, who I worked on this film with. Um, so yeah, we've got an exciting project coming up. We're hoping to work with quite a few young people. It's going to be a Welsh story. Can't say much more than that, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be really exciting and yeah, hopefully shooting at the end of the year. A few final questions. What would you say to anyone young, middle-aged or old who is now just starting their creative, their life, their, their filmmaking life? What, would, what advice would you give them? Be brave, I think, for sure, because it, it's scary and it can be quite an ominous world to try and get into, mm-hmm. even no matter if it's dark or drama, whatever side you want to go into, you just got to be brave and keep asking questions, but also be be kind to people, because I think a lot of people think you have to have a certain bravado to get into film, and you don't at all people just want to work with good people in film they respond well to good people so if you're starting out be kind ask questions be curious be brave and you'll be fine honestly i believe that all creatives we have this internal negative voice that says no no this isn't for Mm. you what are you doing you're an idiot how do you combat that when you're in the midst of working gosh um I think surround yourself with good people. I I don't think me myself. I I well I get to points where I'm like, oh, this isn't good enough. This just isn't good enough, because you do get yourself in those holes. But that's when if you surround yourself with good people, it doesn't even have to be people that you're working with. Even if it's a friend or a family member, or if you are lucky to work with, you know, really good people you just say it you just got to voice it to them i'm not Mm -hmm. sure about this this isn't working or i'm not happy with this and they're either going to tell you the truth where they're like well this is a load of bollocks isn't it (laughs) or they're going to be like do you know what stop being stupid and just get on with it which is usually what it is because i think a lot of creatives are a bit diva as well where we're like oh my god this isn't good enough (laughs) and then so you're saying it's good to get the voice out yeah for sure just vocalize like if you're having those worries having those issues even if it's something as silly as like i don't think i'm good enough for this like you need to tell someone that and tell someone that you can trust because they're going to be like do you know what you are there's a reason why you thought of that idea there's a reason why you're doing this so yeah vocalize it acknowledge it and then just get on with it kind of thing that's i don't know that's one of the ways that i find because yeah i'm constantly being like "Hmm, i don't know if this is quite right but oh well (laughs) anna thank you so much for taking the time out of your day thank you to come and do this 